Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope they're all well. As we, uh, before we start looking into Psalm 8 and unpacking it a bit more, uh, let's come to God once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord God, for these psalms which were written down many years ago, and we thank you for the praise that they offer to you and the emotions of the human heart that they stir. And we pray, Lord God, as we look at this psalm, that you would uh, reveal it to us, Lord God, you would work in our hearts and our minds to change us, Lord God. Uh, to desire to love you and want to serve you more. And we thank you, Lord God, that we can pray to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Uh, well, today we're continuing, obviously, in our uh, series looking at the Psalms, as they are kind of written, the Psalms, uh, looking at a selection of songs and poems written by God's people. Uh, today we look at Psalm 8, one of the earlier Psalms uh, in that collection, uh, written by King David. It is a psalm of recognition and praise uh, of God uh, in times of opposition. Psalm 8 is preceded and followed by other psalms where the writer is crying out to God when Israel is being set upon by enemies uh, in times of struggle. This psalm is a little different in that it devotes much of its time, though, to praising and recognising who God is, but also his relationship with humanity, who he has created it talks about how we are known by God, that he is mindful of us, the word that it uses, is how this relationship is described. Uh, so to help illustrate, I was thinking of a, a bit of an illustration. This is one I came up with. So I occasionally watch uh, the Graham Norton show. Um, has anyone seen or know what the Graham Norton show is? It's like an Irish kind of guy. He's an interviewer of celebrities and actors. Sometimes it's uh, a bit irreverent, but it's got some sometimes quite good stories in there. So... Uh, occasionally watch it um, as if there's some actors or people who I think are quite interesting to watch. Uh, and one of them was being told was about uh, Harrison Ford. You know, the actor, Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, people know who I'm talking about? Most nods, good, very good. People know who Harrison Ford is. Uh, megastar, Harrison Ford. Um, and, but Harrison Ford wasn't in this interview, but he was the focus of the conversation, this big A-list actor. Uh, he's being, uh, being interviewed were uh, the actress Jennifer Lawrence, uh, American actress, and Jack Whitehall. 
uh, not as famous uh, British comedian. Have people heard of Jack Whitehall? That probably works well for this illustration then. Yeah, he's not as well known. You might recognise him if you saw him. Uh, anyway, so in this interview, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, famous person, is talking about how she and a bunch of other actors and celebrities, uh, they're at some party that famous people go to or, or something like that one time, and um, they spot Harrison Ford and the rest of the Star Wars kind of crew all hanging around, you know, whining and dining and stuff. It's, it's them. So she thinks, oh, you know, I'm going to go on over. I'm going to go and say hi to these Star Wars people and say hi to Harrison Ford. Won't that be, won't that be a cool idea? So she's kind of dancing her way over to them and it's very apparent they have no idea who she is and they give her a very strange go-away kind of look. So anyway, she sheepishly kind of dances her way from the table. Uh, but anyway, um, the other person there, um, so Jack Whitehall, um, he thinks, I'll go over too. I'll go and say hi. And they're like, don't do it. Like, he didn't know any of us. He's not going to know who you are. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to go over there and try and say hi. Um, they don't realise that Jack Whitehall's just recently been in another show with Harrison Ford. So Harrison Ford does actually know. Anyway, so he goes over and says, oh, get out, get out Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford goes, mate, how you doing? Come on over, grab a seat with us. And all the others are like, how on earth is this going on that we famous people are not known, but Harrison Ford knows him. Um, he's, Harrison Ford is delighted to see like, him like his best friend. So in many ways, that kind of silly little illustration, this psalm, it shows us a bit like what, what it's like with us and with God. I mean, who are we that God should be mindful of us? Uh, there is no reason, in many ways, that God should be mindful of us, and yet how incredible it is that God knows us and loves us and wants a relationship with us. And through Jesus coming to earth as a man joining us in our humanity, God saves us. So in this psalm today, uh, I want to quickly look at three points, which this psalm kind of raises. Um, who is God? What is mankind? And the God who became man. So let's have a look at that first point. Who is God? Uh, so I want to firstly look at um, who is God from this psalm. Psalm 8 begins with a great statement of theology. Uh, in many ways, the psalms are actually some of the greatest statements of theology uh, that you'll find in the Bible. Uh, so in verse 1 it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So in the English version, uh, it says the word Lord twice. Uh, but the first word, um, Lord, is one, it's got the you know, little squeeze capital letters which are in there. Uh, it's actually the name Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, uh, who made his promise um, with Yahweh. The God who miraculously rescued his people from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Yahweh, who established the kingdom of Israel and set David, the giant slayer, on his throne. The psalmist declares that Yahweh is the people's Lord. He is their master, the true ruler of the people of Israel. But David recognises Yahweh as not only God of the Israelites, as, or as like one God among many nations' God, but says, how majestic is your name in all the earth? When David says the name of the Lord, he doesn't simply just mean, though, like kind of the letters and sounds um, of the name. You know, it doesn't just mean Yahweh's name is kind of a really cool name in all the earth. It's not what he means. Um, 
It's a bit like, you know, in movies or oldie books and stuff where you get the guards banging on the door or something and they say, open up in the name of the king. Um, they don't just mean the word king is some sort of magical word that is going to make them go, oh, let's open the doors then, I guess, because they said the name of the king. No, it means the authority and the character that is behind the name of the king. It's not like William III is a particular uh, name which is going to invoke some sort of response, but it's the authority and the character behind that person's name. That's what David is doing when he says the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Who Yahweh is, the great incredible God he is, is majestic in all the earth. David says how majestic is God's name in all the earth, not because, uh, because it's not just in Israel that God's name is great, because Yahweh is Lord over all creation. David is kind of pointing back to Genesis 1, where God establishes himself as creator and Lord of his creation. Now, further down in verse 3, David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Uh, we once again are reminded that it is God who has made all things and has made all people. It is God who made the stars, the planets and all things in the sky. The solar system and everything that is in it is the workmanship of our amazing God. Uh, now there's this star called, um, now the astrologists or the astronomers or the stargazers in the room will be able to correct me maybe in my pronunciation, but there's a, a star called U.Y. Scuti. No one corrected me, so I'm get, let, let's go with that. It's called U.Y. Scuti, which is 1,700 times larger than our sun. Uh, it's huge, this sun. Um, to put that in perspective, you could fit 400 billion of our planets into UI Scooty. Uh, I, I think, kind of from what I've looked up, that would be like having a golf ball and comparing it to our planet. And that's our sun compared to um, Scooty. That's how huge it is and amazing it is what God has created. But it's not just the size of our universe or its complexity but it's also its beauty. And when we look at the night sky on a clear evening, and every star is shining bright, an incredible yet simple display of black and shining white, there are fewer things which are more beautiful and amazing, um, which we could not create. All of this is the creation of God, the workmanship of the Lord Yahweh. Uh, we might look at what David is saying, though, um, and feel that maybe this is some obvious fact, though. God created all things because God created all things. Isn't that kind of obvious, David? Um, that the Lord, God is Lord of creation. But when we look at our world, uh, too often he is not recognised as such, and people deny God as Lord. <coughs> uh, in recent years we've seen, obviously, a more and more of a cultural re rejection in the West, at least, of the church, its beliefs and values, and as part of that, a rejection of God in people's lives. God doesn't tell me what to do. It's kind of the attitude. The wisdom of the world is to reject God or simply to deny that he exists. But when we read verse 2, it says this. 
Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Remember, uh, this psalm is placed in the middle of the psalms about oppression and distress. That's kind of the context of when this psalm is kind of placed. But we read um, that through the praises of children and infants, of babies, as Katie was talking about, those who would oppose God and speak against him are silenced. Uh, Now, when I was preparing for today, uh, it was this verse uh, that I was kind of grappling with the most to kind of really better exactly what the psalmist uh, is talking about to get some more insight into it. Because how is it that the praises of um, children of God um, has established a stronghold against his enemies? What's kind of going on there? (coughs) Well, we see echoes of this verse uh, in other parts of the Bible, where what appears first at first weakness uh, against strength is flipped around. Uh, When we look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, it says this about wisdom and foolishness. Verse 20 and 21, it says this, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And then verse 27 further down. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God has made it deliberately so that no one can know God or understand him by being clever. It just can't be done. By being really clever and really smart, you just can't know God that way. God has made it. That that can't be done. But when we have um, the kids' talks, um, or the all-age spot um, earlier in our service, and the children are responding to questions each week, or remembering some of the things they've learned from previous weeks, uh, or out in Sunday school, it's really amazing to hear the things that they know, the things that they're able to say that they have learned, the things that they know and understand about God. Uh, And what this psalm shows us is is that it's incredible the wisdom which is coming from their mouths. Through the praise of these children and infants, they are outdoing even the greatest philosophers and thinkers. Some of the small statements that these children uh, will be saying, they are speaking more truth and knowledge than any of the latest uh, political or social movements Uh, writers or influencers. These great thinkers are outdone by the children just in our Sunday school and the the talks, the wisdom which they are able to say. Little children who seem so small and weak praise God the Lord of creation through their words. The God we worship is bigger and greater and wiser than any individual or all of humanity all come together. Yahweh is so big that his majesty fills the earth and his glory in the heavens. He is the God and Lord of all things and of all people. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do as the song goes. That's true. Yet this almighty God who made all things, uh, who's beyond our comprehension and wisdom, is so much greater than we are, 
wants to know us, care about us, and wants to use us. And so that leads me to my second point. What is mankind that God is mindful of us and cares about us? The psalmist raises the question of essentially, uh, why should God be mindful of humanity, of you and me? Uh, What is worthy about us or great about us that the aforementioned God who created all things should find anything about us that he needs or wants? Now, of course, the answer uh, is that there isn't anything inherently worthy of mankind for God uh, to be mindful of us. There's nothing we can do uh, which will impress God. But David's point here is he's not trying to just be like a bit of a misery guts about humanity uh, and remind people of how inadequate they are. That's not really the point. Uh, Verse 4 is not written to be a discouragement or to deflate us as we read this psalm. Rather, it is a reminder to us of how God has chosen to have a relationship with humanity, to know them intricately and to have a purpose for us. Verse 4 and 5 say this, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. King David firstly um, says about what humanity is like, which is described as a little lower than the angels. Uh, Some translations have the word God rather than angels uh, or gods or heavenly beings. Uh, David's point is that um, we are not like that. Uh, We aren't created in the same way as the heavenly hosts are. Uh, Sadly, no superpowers uh, or divine ability, as cool as that might be. We are, as it were, simply human made of flesh and blood in this temporal world. That's how we've been created. And yet, verse 5 says that we have been crowned with glory and honour. You and I are not like the rest of creation. We are not like the animals. We're not as some like to think that, you know, you've got animals and we're just some sort of higher, more intelligent form of animal. That is not how God has created you. Because we are made in the image of God. The God of glory and honour has also crowned us with glory and honour, making us like him. Although we are a little lower than the angels now, it is to mankind that he has destined to be redeemed for glory in eternity. But as we look at verses 6 to 8, we see how God has also given us a purpose, how we are to reflect the one who has made us. Verse 6 to 8. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. God has made mankind rulers over his good creation. The creator of all things, the, the God of you are Scooty, who made all the huma- uh, amazing, huge things in the universe, has made us CEO of the world. The king of all things has, in a sense, made us regents uh, or viceroys, vice kings of all that exists. Rulership is something that is completely of God. 
and something that can only come from God. No ruler exists uh, or comes to power without God's say-so. Because being a ruler is, in a way, acting like God. Uh, It is why the Bible makes it clear that we are to obey our rulers and leaders, because God has placed um, them there and made them there in a way like him, even if only for a little while. It's incredible what God has done, how we have been honoured by God, how mindful of us God is to be made rulers of creation. Because, of course, the irony in all this is that we get it so terribly wrong that we as the CEO are kind of making the company go bankrupt in many ways. Um, We are terrible rulers of God's creation in so many ways. What we have been entrusted with, we fail at so badly. Uh, Sarah and I have been recently watching a TV series called um, Clarkson's Farm. Has anyone seen or heard of Clarkson's Farm? It's a good show. Anyway, Clarkson's Farm, have people seen Top Gear with a guy called Jeremy Clarkson? Yeah, people know that. Anyway, Jeremy Clarkson, a bit of an interesting guy who likes to be grumpy and argue quite a bit. He has a farm, which he happens to own, and when the farm manager kind of uh, retires, he says, well, I'll manage the farm. I'll go out and do it. And he says, and I'll do a TV show along the way. Um, He's got absolutely no idea what he is doing, from driving a tractor to uh, buying sheep and planting seed and passing safety regulations. Uh, He is constantly, and quite hilariously, uh, continuing to fail at running this farm. He does get better at doing it. Um, But at the end of the day, he's like us in managing God's good earth, giving it a go at times with some progress, but constantly failing and falling short of God. And yet God has chosen us for this purpose. He has crowned us with glory and honour, We are reminded that in Genesis 1, God has made people as rulers of his creation. It wasn't just some sort of accident, uh, like a job we fell into because we were there at the right time, right place, and the last person suddenly retired or something like that. God chose us from the beginning of creation. But because of our failings, because we fail to be good rulers of creation who live up to God's glory and honour, It points out to us that humanity needs help. We can't do what God has tasked us with. No man can, unless God himself were to come as man. And that leads me to my final point. God who made man in the person of Jesus Christ, who became man as the person in the person of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Psalm 8 is referred to, or there are connections made to it, uh, a number of times. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 2, from verses 9 to 11, the writer says this, But we do see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should be made the pioneer of their salvation. Perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It was impossible for us 
to become worthy of God by trying to be like God. Nothing we could ever do, uh, we could ever live up to what God required or would ever live up to his perfection and glory. And so God, through Christ, became like us instead. Christ took on our humanity, took on our vulnerableness with flesh and blood. Christ came down from heaven and utterly humbled himself by taking on our likeness as a man. By humbling himself as a man, becoming like us, we have been welcomed as siblings with Christ. We are children of God not by nature, but by adoption with Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because he became like us and brought us into the family of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 to 28, it says this, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That is Christ. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself. He put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him. He put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Just as God placed all things under the feet of mankind as rulers of his world, so has God placed all things under our brother and Lord, Christ. As we see, even the enemy, death, has been placed under Christ and has been defeated. And so for us also has death been defeated. God was so mindful of mankind, so loving of and wanting restored, that the God who is bigger than and made the star UI Scooty became small like us so that we might be saved, so that you and I might know God and enjoy a relationship with him. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, to conclude, what should we do with Psalm 8? What meaning does this psalm have for us today? As we talked about at the beginning, this psalm shows us, um, shows us giving praise and recognition to God and also recognising who we are. This psalm is addressed to God, it is written to sing to God. It is a prayer to God. So let's maybe think about how we are praising God when we pray to him. Uh, when you are praying, uh, how much time do you give to simply praising God and recognising how amazing God is? Uh, do your qu- prayers, you know, maybe out of habit, quickly move on from a praise to your request points, the things that you're asking for in the busyness of life? Is that kind of the, the habit and the ritual maybe of your prayers, straight on to requests? Or are you spending time in your prayers or even spending time simply to just marvel at how marvellous and amazing God is, how incredible our Creator is, and declaring how majestic He is. But in addition to spending time in awe, we can give thanks that God loves us and knows us, that God is mindful of His people, that God is mindful of and cares deeply and personally for 
Maybe you have experienced times of loneliness, uh, of feeling like, you know, God doesn't really know me. Um, I can kind of go about my day to day, and I know God kind of knows everyone, but I don't think God really at the moment knows me. I'm kind of feeling a bit lonely that God is absent. I mean, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, for as long as you can remember, uh, many at times will feel like the God they worship doesn't really seem to notice them. But what Psalm 8 and the writers of the New Testament shows us is that God deeply, deeply cares for you. He cares so much for you that he sent his son to die. We may not fully see the results in this world of this yet. We may not see God and experience uh, face-to-face presence with God. But we know that through what Christ has done, by his becoming like us, we can look forward to that day when Yahweh is standing right beside us. So as we conclude, um, I want to read this um, from um, Philippians chapter 2, this praise to God, recognising who God is, and what God has done through his son. Let me read this from Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us close in prayer and praise to our wonderful God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are amazing and that you are an incredible God, that you made all that exists from the tiniest atoms to the hugest stars and planets to the starry host in the sky, that you made all things. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you know us and that you care about us, even though you are so huge and we are so small, that you know us and that you love us. We praise you, Lord God, for who you are. We praise you and thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that Christ became like us and that through his death and resurrection, we might also know eternal life with you. We just thank you, Lord God, that we can pray to you. Bless us, Lord God, in our prayers that we would marvel at who you are and we would marvel at what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's through his name that we pray today. Amen.